an explanation to one of my sons. I told him the very breath that we breathe, which means our ability to have lungs that are capable of taking in oxygen, and the very oxygen that's in the air is given to us by a good God. And we breathe in, and the very exhale that we give back is brought to praise in God and song. The very breath that we have been given is for the praise of his good and glorious name. Let's begin our time in the word with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for your wonderful gift of life. I thank you for your tender provision for us in a myriad of ways. And we thank you especially for the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is to him that we say thank you for laying down your life in atonement for our sins that we might be forgiven, have the wrath of God removed from us, and might have relationship with you, Father, our God, for all of eternity, if we believe in the name of your son, Jesus. We magnify you for this wonderful gift and ask now that your spirit would enable us to discern the ramifications of this, of this truth for our church, our congregation here in Newport Ritchie. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Two weeks ago, I laid out for you what we, the elders, believe to be the all-encompassing mission that defines the role of our church and keeps us as a congregation focused on the main thing that God has called us to. And as we looked at Colossians chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is supreme over absolutely everything, including Riverside Baptist Church. And I declared that this has led us as leaders to a clear mission and an accompanying mission statement that Riverside is a fellowship in Christ, joyfully committed to gathering for him, growing in him, and going with him. And we believe that this puts Christ at the center of our church, that we indeed are a fellowship in Christ. We gather for him, so at Riverside, it's all about God and all about his glory, including our worship gatherings. We grow in him, meaning that we bear fruit together as we cling to Christ together. And we go with him. We advance his kingdom gospel message as he strengthens our efforts to go to the lost world who are right around us. Furthermore, we believe this grounds our church in the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we are joyfully committed to living this out as a body. Last week, we took another step as I laid out the first of three core principles that flow out of this mission and explained that part of our vision was to honor this principle in the coming years. Core principle number one up on the screen, since we gather for him, we want our worship and ministry to be centered on God's glorious accomplishment for us in the gospel, committed to the sufficiency of his word, and meaningful in all of its parts. That's our aim, to work towards that. And we primarily took that from Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 last week. Well, this has led us to a part of our vision, another part of our vision that we hope to lay out and see fulfilled over the next several years. Our aim 
based upon that first core principle going forward, is to produce mature disciples through relentless gospel application. Whenever we gather, that is relentlessly applied to our lives. And our aim is to stimulate a passion for biblical truth among our people so that we are a people who love the word, who are feeding off the word, and who are known to be people of the word. And our focus with this, as we saw last time, is first of all, we will gather for Jesus by making his gospel the focal point of each of our worship services. And as I explained, this includes a commitment to a redemptive worship structure that's marked by meaningfulness. Hopefully we saw that exhibited today, that that gospel message of the greatness of God, our tremendous weakness and need to confess to him, even though we're saved and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that as 1 John chapter 1 tells us, we are to regularly go back and confess our sins, that we're exhibiting that. And then that we see the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for us on display as we have it affirmed to us and we respond in song and in preaching and in giving in other ways as well. We are committed to having worship services that are meaningful, which means that we have sermons here. We want them to be Christ-centered expositions of the Bible that bring biblical application to the lives of us as people. They don't just remain in theology land, but they become practical and applied to our lives. We also want to make sure that we're meaningful in our music, that it is praiseworthy and full of substance, where, where God is the focus and doctrine is taught and the voice of the congregation is valued as we sing out. And finally, we want to make sure that we seek to offer prayers and offerings and uh, fulfill the ordinances like the Lord's table and even baptism in a way that brings the magnification of the worth of Jesus Christ. And then with that, we will also make efforts to enhance our governing structure here at Riverside by updating some of our bylaws to make them healthier and more helpful to our current needs. Now, this morning, we will begin in Paul's letter to the Colossians once again in order to see the second of three core principles that flow out of this mission and explain our vision to honor this principle in the coming years. Now, as we've said, we are a fellowship in Christ joyfully committed to growing in him. And this second core principle on the screen is because we grow in him, we seek to disciple one another prayerfully for our joy in Christ, intentionally develop spiritual leaders with the Bible, and fellowship authentically with one another. Now, we'll ultimately be looking at several places in this letter of Colossians today, but we'll begin in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, if you'll look there with me. Colossians 2, verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, I think to understand what Paul means here, we have to ask a question. How had they received Christ Jesus the Lord? It says that they and we, and, and if they and we are to walk in him just as we and they received him, then I think we need to be clear on how we received him. 
Did you catch that there? Verse 6. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we're to walk with Jesus in the same way that we received Christ Jesus. So how do we receive him? Well, Paul begins verse 6 with the word therefore, which compels us, when you see that word, to investigate what has previously been said in his lead up to that verse. So I want you to look at a couple of different places with me. Back in chapter 1, I want you to look with me at verses 3 through 6. Chapter 1 of Colossians, verses 3 through 6. He says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So I want you to note some things as we just contemplate this text very briefly. Number one, it says in verse four that they had faith They trusted, they believed, they had faith in Christ Jesus, it says. So they had faith as a church in a person. This is how they received. This is the beginning. They had faith in a person. And in verse 5, it says that they heard about this hope that God offers through the truthful word of the gospel. Okay? So they heard about this wonderful hope that had been given to them through the truthful word of the gospel. Paul had shared it with them. They heard about it from him, this truthful word of good news that Jesus Christ died and rose again to pay for their sins. And this gospel message, verse 6 says, is bearing fruit in their lives and in other believers' lives throughout the entire world, he says. So let me just summarize those few verses. Number one, the gospel message that Christ has been crucified for our sins has been proclaimed. It is proclaimed in churches all across this land, all across this world, and it has been for a couple of centuries. It has been proclaimed. And number two, people believe this good news about Jesus. The Colossians believed it. I believed it as a boy. And I trust many of you, hopefully most, hopefully all of you, have believed this good news about Christ. And third, this gospel of Jesus bears great fruit, he says, in believers' lives. So the gospel is proclaimed, it's believed on by people, and then the gospel bears fruit in those people's lives. Do you see the order? Proclamation, belief, fruit. Look over at chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. 21 to 23. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, indeed, You continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So verse 21, 
if you're tracking with me, verse 21 tells us that we have been alienated from God due to our evil deeds. Or as we sang, once we were his enemies, we sang. We have been alienated by God, from God, due to our sins before God. We're in a bad position. But he tells us in verse 22 that Jesus has reconciled us to God through his death on the cross, paying for our sins. Though I'm a rebel from God, Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life I couldn't live. He died the death that I deserved. He rose again, offering me forgiveness and eternal life in him. So Jesus has reconciled us to God through his death on the cross. And notice the purpose he gives in verse 22. He says he has reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order. Here's the purpose clause. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Christ's purpose in dying in your stead and my stead is to present us holy and blameless before God. His ultimate objective is moral. To have a people who are holy in word, holy in action, blameless in their ways, like God. This is Christ's great motivation, one of his great motivations. And this all happens, verse 23 says, if you haven't caught it, this all happens if, he says, we continue in the faith. The gospel's many-faceted, and you have to understand two things. One, if you truly believe, on that moment you truly believe, you are always saved, once and forever. But it's also true that when you believe, if you truly believe, you will keep on believing, you will keep on growing in your faith, you'll keep on advancing in gospel understanding and acceptance, and you'll keep becoming like God. Both are true, 100% true. This all happens if we continue in the faith, he says. Well, what faith does he refer to here in verse 23? He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Well, he gives us the answer. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This faith is, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This faith is still in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I put my trust in Christ when I was five. My only hope of righteousness and my only hope of seeing Christ one day is that that hope and faith in Jesus Christ is the same that's found in me today. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel it's faith in Jesus at the beginning. It's faith in Jesus all through life. It's faith in Jesus at the end of life. So catch this summary. We are all alienated from God due to our sin. We are all alienated from God due to our sin. But second, Jesus reconciles us to God through his sin payment on the cross. Are you catching a correlation here between earlier in the chapter? And then third, we will one day be presented to God as holy if we continue in the faith of the gospel. If that same faith and the same person that we originally had that saved us is the faith that we have now that continues to save us until the day we're fully delivered from sin 
and death and this body and our weaknesses. So to answer our question in chapter 2, verse 6, how had they received Christ Jesus the Lord? I think we have a clear answer. They received Christ Jesus the Lord by putting their hope-filled, life-changing faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. They received him by faith. When it came to their salvation, they were dependent upon Christ and dependent upon his saving work. But this leads us to another question. What now? What now? What are we to do if that's happened in our lives, if we've been saved by putting our trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Well, according to verse 6, I think, we are to keep looking to and going to the exact same source. We don't grow past it. It's not something we ever leave. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This implies a daily dependence upon him. Is it as if each day we get up and we lock arms with the Savior and then we with him go about our day in absolute need. This is childlike dependence here. We are needy, weak ones who need the strength and the wisdom that our Savior Lord can provide to us every single day. We're not only rooted in him, verse 7 says, but we are also to be built up in him, verse 7 says. Not only do we find our initial salvation through Christ and his gospel, but we are to grow and bear fruit through Christ and his gospel. Which is why when I'm trying to lead one of my children or teach a child, or when I'm trying to teach a teenager, or when I'm trying to teach a young adult, or when I'm trying to teach a middle-ager, or when I'm trying to teach a senior saint, or when I'm trying to hold the hand of a person who is on their last day, in their bed, about ready to go to the Lord, it's the same thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only forgives you of sins, but it gives you the power and the motivation and the perspective that you need to be able to go about life, to say no to lies, to say no to evil, and to say yes to God in all of his truthful ways. We are not only rooted in him, we are built up in him. Not only do we find our initial salvation through Christ and his gospel, but we are to grow and bear fruit through Christ and his gospel. It is faith. It is faith from A to Z. In fact, faith in Jesus Christ is the A to Z of the Christian life. We are to be established in the faith, he says in verse 7. Established in the faith, he says. Established is to be strong or firm in our commitment towards something. It's to be strengthened by truth so that we are healthy trees that are capable of bearing choice fruit. Sticking with the source that allows us to bear something that's good. That's what it means. So what are we to do? Well, we as a church and we as families and we as individuals are to keep looking to Jesus and his gospel truth with faith. But we are not and this is where it really becomes personal for Riverside. We are not to do this on our own little islands. God does not intend for us to do this 
without the community of the local church. And our walks with Christ and our being built up in him and our establishment in the faith and our spiritual growth, we have been provided an incredible means of grace whereby we accomplish this. And this means of grace is the community of the local church of Jesus Christ. It's the people of Riverside. When you look around you, God has given these people to build you up in Jesus Christ. In verses 6 and 7, all these verbs in these two verses are plural. He says, as you received, that's plural. He says, so walk in him. That verb for walk is in the Greek plural. He says, rooted, built up, established. All of them in the original language are verbs in the plural Paul's command to walk in him is given to the church corporate. It's meant for every one of us to hear and to absorb into our lives. And when you connect this text to the one we looked at last week, chapter 3, verse 16, our duty to each other becomes abundantly clear because chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, Teaching and admonishing one another. The word of Christ, the Bible, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another. We are to take the hope-filled message of Christ found in the Bible and teach and admonish each other with it. Which means we say great encouraging things, but we also say some hard things meaning we are to establish each other and build up each other and correct each other and help each other and strengthen each other, all done in community. Friends, this is discipleship. And discipleship is committed in community. This happens when we gather for worship and the word of God when it's proclaimed formally as I'm doing now, and it happens in a myriad of different times and places and ways as we interact with each other throughout life before and after a service, in a small group, at coffee, wherever it may be, through text. And remember, all of this, every bit of it is dependent upon our connection to the Savior, Jesus Christ, because he says in chapter 2, verse 6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And though this involves many things, there's a lot of things we could say about this here, There are several actions that this type of community must include in our local church. Things that must include right in our congregation. Number one, biblical community must include teaching. If you look back at chapter 1 and note verses 28 and 29, Paul says to them, Him, referring to Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So we must teach to each other the many-faceted, all-encompassing truths about the Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to do this on different levels. We're not all going to be as gifted as each other. But we're going to be able to be able to do this in some ways. 
And we must do this in some ways, even if it's just the simple words of encouragement that point a person's perspective back to the Lord. Exhibiting that his gospel is the heartbeat or the backdrop behind all of our instruction to each other, that we go about teaching each other these words of good news. And our goal, our goal here in verse 28, for each other must be maturity in Christ. In other words, our goal is not merely to have their marriage stay together. Our our, our words are not merely to have their children be obedient. Our, Our words are not merely to have them stop doing some action. Our motivation primarily is that that individual, our friend, our brother, our sister in Christ, would grow into maturity to be like Christ, which means there's no facade We're not content with just a temporary covering, a temporary fix. We want to see a heart that is seriously pursuing Christ to become like him. We are to be holy, Christ-like with each other and to inspire that with each other. And we must recognize that as Paul writes in verse 29 that this takes great effort. The words here are incredible. He says, for this I toil, so he's working hard, struggling, he says, with all of his energy. But then he notes that he powerfully works within me. So our work towards each other is an effort that's empowered by God's own energy. And I can't tell you how many times as a pastor that's been helpful to me because you go and help people, you encourage people, you point the word to people, and sometimes they don't respond as they should. And you think, oh, I'm so weak. But then you remember who the God is that's behind the word. And you recognize that his power works even in ways that we don't see. So discipleship definitely involves teaching. Secondly, our community must also include genuine fellowship. If you look at chapter 3, notice verse 9. And I'm going to read several verses all the way through, I think, verse 15. He says in verse 9 of chapter 3, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." That's genuine fellowship, folks. I'm not talking about getting together and watching the Super Bowl, though that can be used for genuine fellowship. I'm not talking about just eating some nachos together. I'm talking about genuine fellowship. The stuff he's just written about here. Let's get clear on what this is. This demands humble honesty, as verses 9 and 10 tell us, doesn't it? A truthfulness that recognizes, do not lie to each other, he says here. 
A truthfulness that recognizes that we are but sinners who have been made new by Jesus and are willing to be real with each other regarding our struggles to, as he says, put off the old self. None of this phoniness, none, about, none of this just simply talking about the simplicities of our week, the things that are on the surface level, but reality with each other about what we're facing, about what we're battling, about the sins that we're struggling with, and about the reasons to rejoice that God has provided. This fellowship demands that we exclude no one, either directly or indirectly, either with our blatant words or with just sometimes the way we refer to some people, the way we refer to them because they're different, either because of their color or because of some social economic background they have. We kind of slip it in when we describe someone to say, well, he is a blank or she is a blank. Describing people in a way that distinguishes, that's unimportant. This fellowship demands that we exclude no one due to age or race or sex or financial position or sinful past or anything else. Because he says in verse 11, here in the church of God he's referring to, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but he says Christ is all and in all. We recognize that our unity in Christ is found in Christ, that Christ is all and is in all of us. That Christ is in all believers and that Christ is to be glorified by all believers. If that fella or that gal is a follower of Jesus Christ, then Christ is in them just as he is in me. So we recognize that we should not exclude because of the gospel. Furthermore, this demands that we treat each other a certain way. If you we're following along as I read verses 12 through 15. You notice the way that we as a church are to treat each other as a fellowship joyfully committed to God. We're to treat each other with compassionate hearts, he says, with kindness and meekness and patience. People do not change, generally speaking, overnight. I've been a pastor for 11 or 12 years. People generally do not change overnight. I don't. <laughs> so why would we expect each other to? Bearing with one another, he says. Forgiving one another. Loving one another, he says. And he gives us the reason in verse 12. He tells us why in verse 12. He says, because we are God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved by God. God loves us. So we treat each other differently than our flesh tells us to treat each other. It demands that together also, at the end of verse 15, this genuine fellowship demands also that we express thankfulness to God together. As he says, be thankful. So always rejoicing with each other over God and his gospel. Third, if we're going to live this out, our community must include prayer. If you look at chapter 4, notice verses 2 through 4. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Prayer is not something that we should ever shirk to the side, that we should ever 
relegate to the exterior or neglect due to other priorities that seem more important in the moment. No, he says we are to continue steadfastly in prayer. If we grow in him, then we must make prayer to him our high priority. Which means we cannot be doing this in the flesh. We must bathe our congregation in prayer before services, have it enrich the lives of our small groups, be something we do for each other throughout the week, even at times formal gatherings where we pray. That prayer is the blood that that flows through us as a congregation. So once again, seeing this up on the screen, core principle number two, because we grow in him, We seek to disciple one another prayerfully for our joy in Christ, intentionally develop spiritual leaders with the Bible, and fellowship authentically with one another. That's where we want to go. That's what we believe is core for us as a church. We want you to be there with us. Let me give you some words of what we want to do in terms of our vision and trying to flesh this out going forward. Our aim, you've seen a couple of these, is to produce mature disciples through relentless gospel application, both when we gather formally and at all those other times where we're discipling each other and discipling our families and discipling our wives and friends. It's also to stimulate a passion for biblical truth among our people so that we love the Bible, not because we love a book for a book's sake, but because we love the truth and the person who is behind that truth that we stimulate a passion for that among our people. And then to inspire genuine Christian fellowship among our members. That it would be real what we have with each other. So let me tell you our focus of how we want to live this out over the next few years. Our focus is that we will grow our hope in Jesus. We will grow in Jesus by building up our flock with gospel-driven teaching, prayer, prayer, and fellowship. And our efforts to do this will include a high emphasis on small groups, as we believe they are vital to the growth and maturity of our congregation. We don't have to do them biblically exactly as we do them here, but we do believe that they are a great means to carry out biblical principles like we just read in Colossians chapter 3. We as elders see small groups here at Riverside as outposts of the church that are marked by genuine love and biblical fellowship and growth together in godliness. And one of our key encouragements is going to be, as it has been, to every member or every new person who comes here at Riverside is commit to a small group. Get involved so that it's not just you coming on a Sunday morning, but it's you living out the life of Jesus Christ with other Christians on a weekly basis. We believe that they are a great tool, and we want to be all in with these groups in the coming years. All in on these. We don't mask that at all. We, we want it to be clear that we're all in on small groups. We want to invest time and energy, and I'll even say we want to invest money. We're going to ask God to help us with this, to invest money into these groups that they may be useful for the growth of our congregation going forward. Our plan is to provide better structure and better cohesiveness to our current groups, even as we expand and form other groups in the months and years ahead. 
We want our focus in each of our small groups to be clear instruction from the Bible, uh, intentional prayer together, both as a group but also corporately, and genuine fellowship with each other that's marked by earnestness, reality, and then neighborhood outreach, beginning to see our small groups as tools, we'll talk about this next week, to reach our neighborhoods, our community with the good news of Christ. And then finally, we want to focus our small groups on a love for a diversity of people. That the different people, different stripes are welcome and that we love them and we'll learn to appreciate our differences. But we have one thing in common, and that's the gospel. We're going to seek to live that out. And that'll be hard at times. But that's why we do church, to work through hard things. And all of this will be fleshed out more, hopefully, in the months ahead. We also look to live out this core principle through two new growth ministries in our church in order to provide comprehensive Bible teaching as well as leadership training. And that first is one we've been announcing for several weeks now, Foundations. This is a ministry, and it's going to begin next week, actually. Sunday morning, 8.45 a.m., right here in the Fellowship Hall. This ministry will seek spiritual growth in Christ in our congregation through intentional, comprehensive Bible teaching on some vital areas of life and ministry. It will cover a broad range of topics, as I've mentioned, like marriage and family and biblical theology, uh, living together as a local church with all of the challenges of that, walking through Old and New Testaments, evangelism, missions, apologetics, you name it, we're going to try to get into it. And hopefully we'll see that expand over the years. And then next week, we're going to kick it all off with a study on how to study the Bible. 13-week series on how to study the Bible. Now, currently there will be instruction for younger children, younger children in foundations. Older kids are encouraged to attend foundations with their parents, though, including upper elementary age and all the way through high school. We encourage you to bring them along and have them with you. That's okay if there's some problems and a little bit of noise and you got to deal with it. That's part of doing church together, and we welcome that. We hope to develop this for kids, however, more and more as the years go forward. So foundations will be led by various elders and teachers who will use their teaching gifts to serve our congregation. And this is going to provide opportunities for other guys to be able to be involved and also give some experience to some guys who maybe haven't had a lot of teaching experience to get them plugged in. So it'll be the building up of our congregation, but also enabling some other guys to get some chances to become equipped teachers in our church. And that leads to the second new ministry we want to kick off, and that is Summit Seekers. As we grow in maturity together, we, I, think, I think we recognize that we must always be looking to tomorrow, always looking to the next generation of godly leaders in our local church. We must always be seeking to answer questions like, who's the next teacher going to be? Or who's the next elder or deacon? Or who's the next small group leader in our congregation? Well, Summit Seekers is meant to develop spiritual leaders in our congregation by enhancing both the theological understanding and the gospel ministry of aspiring men here at Riverside. Now, please understand, this is not to neglect the need of having godly women involved in many ways as well. We get that. We want that. And down the road, we aim to do more. For this is also important. 
But we're small, and we're just getting started, and we can't do everything. When we have so many people, we have to prioritize a few things. And this is our starting point to enhance our current leadership and start developing that next generation of godly men so that our church might have godly husbands, godly dads, godly leaders in, a many, in many different ways who can help our church be healthy. That's our goal. Now, I already have a good group of guys. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm going to get to use my office for this, as many guys as we've got, who are desiring to grow in these areas. And we'll be launching this uh, in our weekly gatherings in September. And if you're interested, if you're a fella and you think, you know what, I would really like to grow in my theological understanding. I would like to be stretched a little bit. I would like to see how I can become a better leader in our church. Come talk to me. We'll see if we can get you plugged in either now or soon down the road. When we gather, us guys, we're going to be reading and considering some weighty theological and practical books to help strengthen our understanding of the truths that God has given to us. We're also going to be doing some training to help these men learn to teach and serve better here at Riverside. All because we want to grow in Jesus, become stronger in our walks with him as a church. So I have three appeals for you as I close. Number one, commit to a small group. If you haven't come and talked to me about the need for a small group, please do so. Right now, I'll be honest with you, we have too many people and not enough groups. We have too many people who want to be in small groups and we don't have enough group leaders. Pray for us in that regard. But also, please be patient with us as we're seeking to work this out. Once we get things kicked off in the fall, hopefully we'll have a little bit better understanding of what our needs are and we can make some decisions. But please, commit to a small group. We want to get you plugged in in this way. Secondly, participate in foundations. I know 8.45 on a Sunday morning maybe isn't your favorite thing. It means you do have to get up perhaps a little bit early. But this is an opportunity to be grounded in some very important things and to encourage some men of God who are going to be learning to teach and learning to use their gifts that God has given them in this area. So plan on participating. It's going to be an important time, and it will be beneficial to your life and your family. Lastly, let me, lastly, let me say this. Would you please just pray over this process? I know you've prayed as we've been working through this vision. I know you're still praying. Please just pray as we seek to manifest this in our church, as we seek to see this carried out, that we might lead well and that our congregation would greatly be benefited by it. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for your great love, for your awesome gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that he is our sure and steady anchor, that we can continue to cling to him, knowing that we are secure as long as we have him. Lord, we look to the table now that we're about to participate in, Lord. It represents that our Savior had his body beaten and broken for us, that he laid down his sinless life for us by shedding his blood on the cross. And Lord, we remember him now, we worship him now, and we say thank you now for what you've accomplished for us in this message. I pray that as a body, that we would take this seriously what we're about to do, and that, Lord, you would be glorified in this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.